Christ alone my hope is found. He's my light, my strength, my song. And that's the gospel message we are reading. And also we're confessing together in the summary of Bible doctrine, Bible teaching in the Heidelberg Catechism. We're at Lord's Day 24. So we're working our way through the main teachings of the Christian faith. Summarizing the teachings of the Bible from beginning to end. And we're at page 882 in the back of your songbooks. Page 882. We're justified by faith in Christ. Not by our works, not even one of our works. And Lord's Day 24 is kind of like complaining about that. What do you mean? No works? That can't be good. Well, it is good, and it's a good thing, because if it rested on even one of our works, that's the one work that would destroy our salvation. Lord's Day 24, why can't our good works be our righteousness before God? Or maybe just a part of our righteousness, because the righteousness which can pass God's judgment must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. But even our best works in this life are all imperfect and stained with sin. How can our good works be said to merit nothing when God promises to reward them in this life and the next? Well, this reward isn't merited. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace. But doesn't this teaching make people indifferent and wicked? No. It's impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. Let's return to Galatians 2. Page 1155 in your pew Bibles where we have this complaint, especially from the Jewish people. You're making Christ a minister or a servant of sin with your doctrine of Justification by faith alone apart from works. So we're at Galatians 2 verse 11. And let's read there from 11 through 21 on page 1155. But when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God 
I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's great and glorious word. May our faith be built up by it. Brothers and sisters and the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of the Bible is clear. Don't trust in your own works. Not even one. Your works can't make you right with God. Not even one can contribute. Trust in Christ's work alone to save you. We owe a great debt to God because of our sin. Our works can't pay that debt. Only Christ's work is big enough, great enough, good enough to pay that debt. So again, don't trust in your own works to make you right with God. Don't trust in your works, not even one of them, not even a little bit. And that's the message of Galatians as well. We're justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because, again, by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now we're facing a backlash to this teaching. Why are you so down on our works? Can't we do anything right? Is God really against all the good things that we do? Don't you realize what you're doing? You're saying that It's okay to sin because God's really against anything good we do anyway. Aren't you making Christ a minister of sin if you say our works count for nothing, Christ's works count for everything? Right? Get the logic of that. Aren't you making Christ a minister, a servant of sin? Isn't he setting up a sinful religion? Go sin. It's going to be covered anyway. I get that. I get that objection. We're scared of God's grace. We're scared that it might make Christianity an easy religion, a religion of sinning freely and boldly. And that's the backlash that Paul is anticipating here in verse 17, is Christ then a servant of sin? And that's the backlash that Lord's Day 24 is anticipating. Why can't the good we do at least contribute something to our righteousness? Doesn't this make people indifferent and wicked? By nature, we're afraid of grace. We object to it. And we have three objections here in this Lord's Day to really summarize or explain the objection in Galatians 2.17. Does this make Christ a minister of sin? We fear, first of all, that free grace, God's free grace devalues our works it undermines reward what the bible says about reward for our works and we fear it'll encourage sin free from the law oh blessed condition i can sin as i please and still have remission is that what it does so first we're afraid of what it does to the value of our good works this free grace 
putting all confidence in Christ's work and none in our own. Christ has done everything to pay for all our sins and to give us a full line of holy work so that the debt is paid and a full line of credit is given all in Christ, not at all by our works, not even one. Well, then you're dismantling any place for good works in the Christian life, aren't you? At least that's the argument. Because we can do nothing to contribute to our salvation. That's what you're teaching, right? Yes, that's what we're teaching. And then the Jewish complaint is, yeah, you're making us just like Gentile sinners. Because Gentiles, you know, don't have a law. They're lawless people. You're making us just like them. You're, you're saying we should, we're all, we should be a lawless people. Or we're all sinners. And that makes Christ a minister of sin. And Paul's answer is, yes, we're just like the Gentiles. We're all sinners. No, Christ is not a minister of sin. So there's really two things going on there. Yes, we're just like the Gentiles. We're all sinners. The Christian faith declares us to be all sinners. And therefore, our works can contribute nothing to our salvation because even one speck of sin in one of them is intolerable to an absolutely holy God and will wreck the whole thing. It's got to be Christ's perfect righteousness alone or it's not going to work. This gift of God's free grace. Free grace never encourages us to sin or break the law. We object to free grace because it makes us all sinners in the sight of God whose works are all unworthy of God. We object to free grace because it tells us that our works have no value at all in paying the sin debt we owe to God. We're offended by free grace because it tells us that all our works can do when it comes to standing with God is condemn us. You mean that's all my good works can do when it comes to my standing with God? Is condemn me? Yes. Why do we have that objection? Like we find in question and answer 62, our good works can't be our righteousness before God or not at least a part of our righteousness. Why can't? Why can't our good works be our righteousness or at least part of it? And I would say that objection that wants a place for works has three main sources. The first is human pride. We naturally think that our efforts should count for something. And we're naturally offended that all our accomplishments, all our reputation, all our talents, all the applause we're getting, all the achievements, all the degrees that we've been granted that we've earned, don't do a thing to make us good and acceptable in God's sight. Really? What an affront to human dignity. So we object to this free grace because human pride wants a spot for works. We reject, secondly, because of what we might call resurgent Pelagianism. Let me explain that. Pelagius was a fourth century British monk who said we're all born good and we're able to do 
good things, even though nobody's perfect because we're in a fallen world. Well, we are in a resurgence of Pelagianism like never before in North American culture. We are so convinced of our own goodness and the goodness of what we do. How could you possibly say we can't do anything good that counts for our standing? Well, anything that can make us right with God. How could you say that? Because we don't believe in original or actual sin anymore. Sin lies in the system. It lies in the structure. But not in my heart. Not in me. It's not personal. Oh, we make mistakes. But it's not really our fault. We can't imagine that there'd be a God who would ever be displeased with us. Let alone angry with us. We're very convinced of our great moral ability and our personal goodness. And that we're entitled to God's blessings. How could God not like someone so good and talented and wonderful like me? So the idea of a free grace in which good works, our accomplishments... Our talents and credentials count for nothing for our standing with God, for our acceptance before God, is highly offensive in modern Pelagian society. That was the sense of the moral Jews in Paul's day, too. We don't even think we've got a problem with God. What do you mean I need to get right with God? Human pride, resurgent Pelagianism, and there's a third reason that we think good work should have a place in our acceptance with God. We have a low view of God. We think that We have such a compromised view of God and of his holiness that as long as I try my best, God is so totally happy and pleased with me. Anything I throw his way, he should just be amazed at me. We have such a low view of God. And he has lowered his perfect standards to accept basically anything as righteousness. As long as I'm trying my best or as long as I was sincere or I meant it or whatever. So why can't our good works have any place in our righteousness before God? Well, the first is this. Everything we do has sin stains on. Everything we do has imperfection in it. Nothing meets God's perfect standards. The Bible says there's no one righteous. No, not one. There's no one who does good, not even one. They have become worthless, Romans 3, 10 through 12. That's not man's view of man. That's God's view of man, and God's view is right and true. He's got it right. And whatever our protest and our offense... And our complaining 
God's got it right. But that's why he sent his son. There's the love of God. He saw us in that spot where we couldn't possibly even begin to pay the debt we owe to God. We couldn't possibly begin to meet his perfect standard of righteousness. That even if we tried one thing, that one thing would get us in deeper trouble because there's sin in it. And he saw that. And he offered up his son to us to say, you do that perfection for them. You pay the debt they owe and you offer the perfect life that they haven't given me. And if we believe in this perfect one, we're joined to his perfection and we're right with God. That's the gospel. But it allows no spot for Pelagianism, for pride, or for a low view of God. What an amazing gift of love. Free grace is that when I could offer God nothing acceptable, no, not one thing, Jesus offered God everything in my place. I just can't get over how outrageous that good news is. And I get why it's offensive. And you know you got it right when people are offended by it. Because he's absolutely holy and he will not compromise his standard. He sent his son to provide a righteousness that does meet his standard. So brothers and sisters, Christ is not a servant of sin, but he's a servant for sinners to make you right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Throw away your pride. Don't count on a single one of your works to make you right with God. Or for God to pick up and say, yeah, that'll do. I'll throw that in the package. Yeah, that, that won't be quite enough, but I'll throw some of Christ in and then I'll declare you're righteous. No, no. Keep me out of it, Lord. Keep me out of it. I give up on myself. That, that was Paul's conversion, right? I give up on myself and all that I've got and all that I've accumulated. And I trust him alone. Remember, that's what faith is. Forsaking all, I trust him alone. F-A-I-T-H. Well, secondly, another reason we're scared of free grace is because we fear that it undermines God's rewards. And the Bible says that God rewards our good works, doesn't it? So how can you say that good works count for nothing before God? I'm going to give you just four Bible passages. Listen carefully. Matthew 5, 11 through 12 and, and the Beatitudes. Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. You'll get a great reward for those good works, the suffering for my name. God rewards good works. He really does. Or Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Reaching the end of the race, the end of his life, the end of his ministry. And here's what he says. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Kept the faith, fought the good fight, finished the race. There's an award coming, a crown. Or Luke 6, verse 15, Jesus said, But love your enemies and do good. Do good. Hear that? And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Do good, and your reward will be great. He means it. It's real. It's true. One more verse, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Work heartily. Work hard. Work for the Lord, not for men. And you get the inheritance as your reward. So the Bible's very clear. Brothers and sisters, God loves your good works. He loves them. He loves the good works of every believer. Even though you have to admit not one of our good works is ever perfect. He still loves them. He loves them anyway. With all sin stains notwithstanding, he still loves our good works. And he loves our good works not for their perfection. But because the one who offers them to God is united to Jesus Christ, the perfect one. And when you're united to Jesus Christ, you're in him and you offer good works. The good works are coming to God through Jesus Christ who pays for the sin stains on them and purifies them. So they end up in God's throne with only the smell of Jesus on them. So if two people, an unbeliever and a believer, do the same good thing, they're not the same thing in God's eyes. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say the elderly gentleman next door is taking his groceries out of the car and he drops a bag of apples and apples are rolling all over the driveway and you run over and help him clean them up. And if an unbeliever is that one, one that runs and helps clean them up, he's doing a good thing for society, but it can't do anything to pay for his sin or make him worthy of God. It can't do anything to pay for his sin or make him worthy of God. Augustine called such works splendid vices. Splendid vices. Because when that person's doing that good work, he's on his own. the sin stains on that good work because there's all kinds of impurities in them have no blood covering have no sacrifice covering them and that reaches God's eyes or ears and he says unacceptable he really does 
Outwardly it's good, but inwardly it has no value in terms of making him worthy of God. Outwardly God even can use that to contribute to the well-being of society, but inwardly it doesn't have any value to make him worthy before God. It actually increases his debt load before God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. No matter how hard you run after those apples, without faith, which joins you to Jesus, it's impossible to please God. So now you're a believer and you see those apples of the elderly gentleman next door rolling over the driveway and you run after them. And even though there were impurities mixed in that good work, for just a split second you saw somebody else cross by and you kind of looked down at them. Why aren't you helping? You're not as good as me. That passed, that thought passed. I shouldn't think that way. But it, there were impurities mixed in it. Yet, God smelled that good deed you offered to him as a Christian And he said, that's beautiful. Why? Because you offered it to him in the name of Jesus Christ. You weren't offering that to him standing alone. You're connected to Jesus. Colossians 3 speaks about that way of the works of the believer. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's why God rewards our good works. Not because our works are so good, but because... The worker is joined to Jesus, whose good works cover the imperfections in our good works. And so the reward is not a merit, like now you earn your salvation or you earn anything at all. It's a gift of grace. Augustine said, God's just crowning his own gifts to you. Christ's death on the cross paid for the impurities of that good work. He's purifying that good work, and you're offering it to him in the name of Jesus Christ. It has a smell of Christ on it. So is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. And then Paul adds in Galatians 2, 18 through 20, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh. Listen to that. Verse 20. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I don't set up an edifice of good works again now that I'm saved and say, now may my good works count toward my salvation. No. No, the life of good works that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I offer them to God in faith, he says. God accepts and rewards our good works when we don't count on them for our merit or worthiness. God accepts and rewards our good works when we count on Jesus Christ to cleanse and purify our good works and bring them to God and for God to use them for his glory. 
Let's see, thirdly, the third reason we're afraid of free grace is that we're worried that if works count for nothing and sin is freely forgiven without us in any way trying to pay the debt, it's all covered by Christ's work in our place, that will encourage a life of sin. Doesn't this teaching, question 64, make people indifferent and wicked? This wonderful teaching, all you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and then God clears you to be just as if I'd, right? Just as if I'd never sinned or ever been a sinner and just as if I'd been perfectly obedient. Christ was obedient for me. Doesn't that make for easy sinning? Well, there's a certain logic to that. Hey, Jesus got you covered. Keeping the law can't save you, so just forget about the law. Just sin as you please. And the opponent says, no, no, no. If you're required to do something, that will help you work harder. If you're required to do something to be right with God, that will help you fight your sin more. Really? It sounds logical, but it's not a biblical logic at all. Think about that. If you're not right with God and you think that some of the good things you do can earn you acceptance with him, why are you doing those good works? Because you love him? No, you hate him. You're hoping to buy him. It's all selfish. Those aren't good works at all. That doesn't encourage a life of good works in any way. It doesn't fight a life of sin in any way. It's all corrupt from the get-go. Is Christ a minister of sin? No. Think of it this way. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith you're united to him. You're hanging out with him. You're connected to him all the time. Let me ask you, is that going to encourage a life of sin? When you're joined to Jesus, truly joined to Jesus by faith? No. That's not going to encourage a life of sin at all. Because you belong now to the best and the holiest and most loving and merciful and righteous person ever, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and gave himself up for you. And when you're joined to him, as Paul says that, right? In Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but wait, Christ lives in me. When I believe in him, I get joined to him and he enters me. And that changes my life. If you argue that way, free from the law, oh, blessed condition, I can sin as I please and still have remission, you're faking it. You're not, jo- you're not joined to Jesus at all. You wouldn't think of Jesus that way. Oh, we still sin, but we hate it now because it, it's an offense to our Savior who's joined to us and we drag him into our sin. Wherever we sin, we take him with us. No, it's despicable. We hate that. We fight that. We flee it. We repent of it. 
That's why it's impossible, says the catechism, for those who grafted into Christ by true faith, not to produce fruits of gratitude. By faith, you're joined to him. You live in him. He lives in you. And the life I live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what happens when you don't trust in your works to save you, but you trust in Christ. Christ makes you want to do good works, but for a new reason, not to try to buy God off, but to thank God. It's the overflow of the heart, to thank God for all that he's done for you. You know you can never pay him back. You don't want to try. That'd be an offense. But you want to show him off. You want to reflect him. You want to look like him. He, he's become your hero. You always want to look like your hero, right? You always want to behave like, like your hero. You're, you're joining him. He's your hero. You, you just want to be like him. Faith in Jesus Christ produces fruits of gratitude. Christ, free grace does not in any way make Christ a servant or a minister of sin. Free grace is faith joining you to Christ, God crediting you to all his righteousness, and then join to him, you start living a new life. Fighting sin, following Christ, a life of repentance and faith. Don't worry about grace, revel in it. Exploit it in the sense of make the most of grace to cover your sins. Make the most of justification, even though my conscience accuses me of grievously having sinning against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them perfectly. And even though I'm still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, I'm a child of God. In that sense, I mean exploit grace. Make use of justification every day. You need that good news. Because sin keeps plowing against you and accusing you. Satan keeps accusing you. We need that good news. And when we truly rest in that good news, rest in Christ, that's life-changing. You want to live for him. You want to serve him. That's also part of God's grace. We don't throw works away. They just get a new place in our life. Not a place of trying to buy God's favor, but a place of thanking him for free grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, the good news is so good that it's highly offensive to the natural mind. It's scary because we think, what's it going to do to works and how are we going to view sin after this? Lord Jesus, you are not, you are never a minister of sin. We praise you that you're a minister of grace and of new life. That I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me.
In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What a great life. Thank you. Thank you for your free grace. Help us to make much of your grace and to enjoy this, to live in and out of this all the time. When the accusations assault us, bring us back to your free grace. In Jesus we pray, amen.